Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You. Today I have a very, very senior professional, Mr. Anil Goyal with me. Anil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashutosh. Pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. Anil is a Tata Group veteran of 35 years. Anil is also an author and anyone who writes books is a man straight after my heart. So he's an author of a book called The Mask Behind the Face. Anil, tell me a little bit about your early career. Basically, I am a career Tata person. You know, I started my career with Tata Tea Company that was known as Tata Tea in the good old days. Yeah. Now it's uh, known as uh, Tata Consumer Products. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in the course of my career, I first started with the tea business right. and through, you know, multiple functions uh, in the organization, mm-hmm. from internal audit, corporate finance, uh, you know, SBUs and uh, so on and so forth. And eventually in the tea plantations in South India. Right. Now, the early part of my career was very interesting because, you know, that was the time that company was uh, going through a very, uh, from a very embryonic stage, mm-hmm. it was in the process of evolving. Okay. And uh, in the early 80s, you know, as a youngster and as a middle management person, I could sort of visualize mm-hmm. and connect the dots on what the leadership had in plan for the organization and where they saw it 20 years down the line. So it's important uh, that I say this because... Many years later, when I came back to the company, uh, you know, as a CFO, many of the things that I implemented and facilitated the management to execute mm-hmm. were actually conceptualized in the early 80s. Okay. So that's a very interesting thing because, and that's what I've written about in my book also, that what, what really happens is that it's important for management to uh, see the smoke signals mm-hmm. and be able to preempt the wind change. Right. And it help you then then decide how to take the organization forward. So for me, the significant learning in the early part of my career was basically not to uh, uh, rely on status quo, mm-hmm. not to take things for granted, to be sensitive to the facts that the sands are shifting all the time, mm-hmm. and therefore read the smoke signals that are around you, mm-hmm. and what the environment is telling you mm-hmm. uh, about your business, mm-hmm. and how therefore you know you need to change things in your business to remain combative and uh, competitive. Mm-hmm. That was the early part of my learning, which I sort of relied upon pretty much through my career. Very interesting. So Anil, which uh, Tata companies did you work for? So I worked uh, for Tata Tea. I mean, it used to be called Tata Finlay when I started with them, Tata Tea, then mm-hmm. it became Tata Consumer Products. Mm-hmm. And now it's known as uh, Tata... Uh, uh, no, Tata Privileges, and now it's known as Tata Consumer Products. It's one to multiple avatars, which okay. is interesting. So my association with Tata Tea or Tata Consumer Products, whatever we wish to call it, was from 1982 till 2004. And uh, in between, then I had moved to Indian hotels. Mm -hmm. And I worked with Indian hotels for the latter half of my career. And I became CFO of Indian hotels. And subsequently, I joined the board, became executive director of finance. And then eventually, I retired from Indian hotels. I see. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. So basically, my career was very interesting that I sort of almost, you know, split my, my association with the group uh, in, in two subsects in the tea business mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, in the hotel business. So it was mm-hmm. interesting. interesting. So Anil, you know, tell me about the, let's talk a little bit about the Tata group. You know, it is one of the most highly respected groups in this country with all the right ethical practices, etc, etc. What is the DNA of the group that makes it uh, such a highly respected group? I mean, I know Mr. Ratan Tata, uh, you know, I read about him and I read what he thinks, etc. But as someone who's a career professional, what are your thoughts? 
I think it's it's an interesting question, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, and it's an amazing group because it's been in business for more than 130 years. Great. And I think the unique thing about the Tata Group, the way I see it, is that the Tata Group have selflessly invested in nation building, mm -hmm. and that's the way I see it as an insider and as a person who uh, took great pride to be associated with the group. Mm -hmm. And the difference is this: the difference is that their belief is that when you invest to create jobs. To create infrastructure and go into sectors, and I'm talking of an era when you know uh, equity was scarce and investments were limited. So I'm talking of that era when they actually you know made mega investments. So their belief was that when you do all of that, the economic return will come in any case. So the starting point is not economic return. The starting point is much larger social objectives mm -hmm. of basically creating infrastructure and opportunities on the ground, and then the rest will follow. So. I think that is what really is is the fundamental difference between the group ethos and uh, other large business houses. And I think at at an individual level, and you know all the people, you know, types of people that work with the with the group and that are associated with the group, there is great pride to be associated with the House of Tatas. Mm. And you know, you know that you know you are comfortable in doing the right things. You'll be supported if you just take the right decisions. Mm. Uh, integrity, higher levels of ethics. It, it's you know the doors open for you. When you present your visiting card and say, you know, you're from the House of Tartars. So I think that's what really makes the group really stand apart. And uh, I mean, you, I mean, you look at somebody like me, you know, I mean, I grew up in Jamshedpur, right? I did my schooling there and it was, life was all about Tesco and Telco as those companies were known right. in those days. Right. So when I finished my education and I was out in the job market, for me to just join the House of Tartars was a subconscious uh, nudge, you know. Mm -hmm. There was no thinking and there was no planning and so on and so forth. And the company that I joined, which mm -hmm. you know, Tata Team, those days was known as Tata Finlay. Yeah. It was still a sterling company. It was not a very well-known company. It was a small company. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what that organization was all about. But merely because it had the prefix of Tata, I just, you know, when I got, I applied for it. When I got the job, I just took it. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was getting into. And, you know, the rest, like this is history. So mm -hmm. I think that's the uniqueness of the House of Tata's. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just one more question. You know, what, what are the values that every Tata employee seems to be able to carry, which makes the group such a strong uh, group in terms of the value systems and the way you project yourselves. I, I think, uh, you know, what we have practiced um, in the course of our careers is to basically have respect for the ecosystem in which we operate. Mm -hmm. So yes, we, we do recognize the importance of taking care of our workforce, to respect our workforce, mm -hmm. uh, take care of them, because if you take care of your workforce, then the workforce takes care of the organization. But I think the belief is larger. The belief is is that the entire ecosystem, which is you know your vendors, your customers, uh, and your employees, if you take care of all of them, uh, then obviously you're creating economic value for your shareholders as well. Mm. I think that is that is uh, a very strong belief uh, in the system mm. that uh, you know you respect your ecosystem and everything is taken care of. Mm. And I'll tell you, I'll give an example. You know, like in my early days when I was in the tea plantations the kind of uh, willful voluntary investments that we would make mm. for the welfare of our workforce uh, in the plantations was uh, beyond belief. Mm. We had, and I'm talking of my generation, so now since I've retired many years back from, uh, from the tea business, mm. uh, we are talking of fifth generation workforce working for us, which is rather unprecedented. Yeah. So they moved into the tea plantations, they lived there and generations of the generations uh, you know, they continue to work for us in the plantation. So investments uh, in housing, water, sanitation, education, 
you know, medical care, uh, creches, the works. The whole townships are created, actually. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. We went beyond the call of duty to take care of a workforce. And I, I, I mean, it's all in the public domain, even after 26-11, what the Tatars did, uh, you know, in, in the Taj and for yeah. the unfortunate colleagues who lost their life. Or for the you, were you still with Indian hotels when that happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was very much in Indian hotels. I was a finance director in those days. And, uh, you know, my office was in those days in the hotel. So I was, yeah. was there uh, in the thick of it. And, uh, you know. That must have so, been quite a traumatic. Uh, so, uh, it is, it is uh, actually beyond belief because uh, no uh, textbook, no manual, uh, no codification, no, no discussion ever prepares you in the corporate world. Right. Or something that you know we, we went through it was uh, clearly traumatic mm. but uh, the point i'm making is that you see whilst the business had been impacted and the flagship uh, hotel of uh, you know the company had been uh, brutally assaulted uh, you, you know the first thing that the tatas thought about was the employees mm. and the guests mm. what is it we need to do for those who have been impacted within the first 48 hours a trust was formed it was funded and liquidity was created to help. Mm. So uh, it's, it's just, you know, it's a very important uh, example of, uh, you know, how the group thinks very differently. Mm. And uh, I'll give you another example. You know, in my tea days when I was CFO for Tata Beverages, it's got so many names I keep getting I know, confused. I <laughs> so, you know, at that point in time, we had taken a very strategic decision that, you know, the company had evolved so much and we had now moved into consumer-facing marketing of branded products that our earlier core competence of uh, plantation ownership was no longer relevant to us. So the board gave us a mandate that, look, you know, I think we should now need to exit the plantations. But the brief to the management is find a solution of change in ownership where the employees don't lose their jobs. So they didn't want a, a kind of a plain vanilla exit and not really bothered about what the incoming uh, owner does. So the whole idea was find a solution where existing employees, entire 30,000 workforce, their jobs are protected and they get ownership. So I'm cutting a very long story short, but what we designed eventually after a fair amount of struggle was the first ever employee buyout, which is what happened. Now, this is a story that needs to be told because I don't think too many people are really aware of it. But in my opinion, it's one of the most remarkable things. Tell me about it. So that the House of Tatas did. So basically, we created a structure and we brought in financing where after the organization was valued, liquidity was provided in the hands of the employees and the workforce to buy that entity. So the 30,000 employees, including the pluckers, plantation labor, became the owners of that division, which was a division in Tarati and became an independent company thereafter. Mm-hmm. And Tata Tea retained a, a minority shareholding in the company to give them comfort that we are there, but you're independent. And then, you know, for the lenders and finances also to have the comfort that, you know, it's not that, you know, you're just cutting the umbilical cord. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, it's been a remarkable journey because I think that company is now almost 13, 14 years, uh, you know, as a standalone independent uh, company, mm-hmm. still unlisted, but profitable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the moral of the story is that the House of Tata's had the wherewithal and uh, let's say, you know, the, 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 the uh, uh, awareness to recognize that the future of that business lay in an alternate ownership model. Mm. That is the beauty of the thinking. Mm. And it's very important because this is uh, an example of a balance between very strong emotions and the same emotions helping you take a decision for the future of that entity. 
because this is a very enterprise that for 15 years 16 years they took such much pride in and invested money and it was a showcase for the house of tatars you know whenever the who who used to visit india mm. invariably they would make a beeline and come to munar and experience what the tatars were doing in munar mm. uh, you know, the plantations right it was a remarkable uh, transformation that had taken place but when the business parameters changed uh, which is what i talk about because there are times when the external environment changes so dramatically that what is your core competence is no longer a core competence and that business cannot uh, survive with the overheads that typical corporates have so it needed to reinvent itself and to reinvent itself it needed to be independent mm. it needed to think afresh and which is what the tatas uh, enabled mm. it to do so it's right. a remarkable story actually i agree i agree so before i move to your book one more question you know how is a 130 year old group adjusting to millennials i think it's 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 a it's a interesting uh, question and i think it's a interesting journey mm-hmm. and uh, i i think they're very clearly making an effort because uh, i have uh, you know recently even heard of the chairman mr chandrakar talking about uh digital solutions uh, need to be put in place across uh, sectors and organizations to basically deal uh, the requirements of the future very clearly they do have uh, in their portfolio very many young uh, you know uh, young uh, uh, exciting brands uh, like starbucks uh, titan punish themselves are addressing the millennials uh, they have fast track which is addressing the millennials even the tea business has opened uh, you know tea parlors i think they call them tata chai Mm. uh and uh, even in hospitality we have introduced a, a, a brand uh, named ginger which is basically addressing the millennials mm. so I, i think quite clearly the group is doing a lot but uh, uh, obviously i i think the pace at which the millennials are are, uh, are growing as as a, as a as a market and uh, you know their their uh, their um, demands and their expectations and their behavioral pattern needs to be tracked and it needs to be addressed but i'm sure the house is addressing it thank you anil anil tell me a little bit about uh, your book the mask behind the face so you know the idea of writing a book germinated in my mind um, uh, pretty much uh, in sync with with you know the timing of my retirement and uh, i just believe that uh, it's important for me to capture my own experience mm-hmm. and based upon that experience my my overwhelming comp- um, belief that uh, you know management in order to succeed needs to deal with the winds of change mm-hmm. that are sort of engulfing us and um, you know there are times that we sort of don't really read the the signals we don't read the barometer correctly and we get caught uh, kind of blind sighted that was the concept of what i wanted to write about right and i wanted to lean upon my experience and demonstrate how the two organizations i worked for in the course of my journey with them over four decades how we did it correctly and we succeeded and where we didn't do it correctly and therefore we faltered and therefore what we're doing about it and then that conversation leads to my belief on uh, the fact that in today's complex world the success of an organization is now in my opinion mm-hmm. jointly in the hands of the board mm. the ceo and the cfo mm. i think life has become too complicated so right. these three are in my view joined at the hips Okay. and they have to collectively take responsibility for what needs to be done mm-hmm. and uh, then i sort of gone on to argue the case that you know the ceo must focus very strongly on product and customer now we all know it that obviously they do it so yeah. what's so, what's so great about you know anil goel saying it 
but the fundamental difference is recognizing the fact that the customer's behavioral pattern is not changing almost by the hour, by the month, right. by the quarter. Right. You know, because brands are becoming fragile, right? And uh, the brand pool is becoming very vulnerable. Mm. So one cannot take the customer for granted mm. because behavioral pattern can change overnight and loyalty can collapse overnight. Mm-hmm. So CEOs have to focus very strongly on what's happening in the market, what's happening with my product, and how can I change my product or what needs to be changed to keep exciting and delighting my customer and protecting my market turf and growing my business. Okay. The CFOs, in my opinion, need to focus very strongly on scanning the environment, mm-hmm. very strongly, because it's not good enough to you know prepare you know twelve month business plans, three years. Yeah five-year business plans. I mean, in my opinion, that's all irrelevant. Mm -hmm. What is most relevant is to scan the environment and find out and to track and monitor external influences that are going to impact my business in some form or the other. And the third element I want to talk about, I've talked about is the role of the board. Mm -hmm. So what I've explained in my book is that in my opinion, because life has become so complicated and you know, we see so many businesses are collapsing. Mm -hmm. There are so many problems uh, in the corporate world. So there is an underlying problem, right? What is that underlying problem? There are multiple, Correct. but I'll, I've zeroed on one or two. The fundamental problem is the composition of the board itself. Hmm. So my view is that amongst the independent directors, there needs to be one independent director who has actually sector domain knowledge. It's important. Correct. Very often we find that we have illuminaries and you know heavy hitters and people of great repute, very successful in their businesses. Uh, on the boards and they're adding great value but when the chips are down and there's a problem with the business mm-hmm. you know they can't really zero down on the central issue because they don't have that touch and feel of the business okay. so you end up actually relying on the same management team mm-hmm. that to begin with got you into the problem right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if the organization is facing a problem then very clearly you know the people running the business yeah. have not been able to resolve it did not see it Mm. or what caught blindsided. So there's an issue that needs to be resolved. So how do you resolve it? Mm. So it's hopefully if the management team can fix it, great. Mm. But there's a possibility that they cannot fix it. So they need some guidance. They need some insights. They need some nudging. And that nudging can come only if the think tank in the board has that knowledge Mm. and has that wherewithal to challenge and say, look, I don't agree. How can you do this? But, you know, so-and-so happened at that time or you did this at that time, and therefore why are you not looking at it from an alternate point of view? Mm. Which means the point I'm making is understanding risk that the business is facing, the enterprise is facing, and that the sector is exposed to Mm. is something that the boards need to spend time on. And it's all intertwined in in my opinion, you know, because everything is changing. Mm. Your consumer's behavioral pattern is changing. Therefore, the products and the service you provide have to be continuously looked at and challenged. Correct. And good standards, good benchmarks don't last very long now because of these changes that I'm talking about. Very good. So now, you know, I'll give an example. I mean, you know, I've been influenced very strongly by Alvin Toffler, you know, mm-hmm. from my early youth. Mm-hmm. And and Toffler talked about all of this in the 70s and 80s, you know, when he wrote his books. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, you know, adapted to it, understood what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, it influenced my thinking as a manager. But I tell you what Tosha talked about in the 1780s is mm. so important now. I would mandate everybody to read Alvin Toffler now, you know, Future Shock and Power yeah. Shift. Yeah. And Power Shift is all about shifting of knowledge, right? Yeah. Shifting of power because of shifting of knowledge. Correct. Very true. 
people who have information have power hmm so you know that's what we are now uh, living in right the digital world you know so uh, that's basically uh, what the book is about very true so anil let's move to a few personal questions i've got time for just a few personal questions now uh my first question is are there any people other than alvin toffler who have have had a strong influence on you and if yes what have you learned from them i think uh, you know i give credit to uh, you know the major that i am to three individuals who very strongly influenced my my career mm-hmm. and i am greatly indebted to all three of them so the first is a gentleman named bobby sabiki mm-hmm. who unfortunately is no more so he was the joint managing director and cfo of tarati when i joined the company in 82 so i had the great uh, fortune of uh, you know i was an assistant manager and he was the joint managing director so obviously my exposure to him was limited but those 5 6 years that i saw him work uh, helped me understand uh, the, you know many of the skills that a cfo needs to have to succeed in business so bobby sabiki influenced me tremendously and i remember uh, you know his his, uh, his his style in the way he operated and what i need to learn from him mm-hmm. the second uh, gentleman named uh, rk krishna kumar uh, you know he was a managing director of tarati managing director mm-hmm. of gels mm-hmm. and uh, you know um, on the board of uh, tata sons mm-hmm. presently a trustee with the tata trust mm-hmm. so i had the great fortune of uh, working under his supervision for almost 25 uh, 30 years better part of my career actually right. pretty much all of my career i worked mm-hmm. uh, you know directly indirectly and as i progressed in life um, directly under his supervision so from him you know what i learned was that every decision that you take while running a business just ensure that it benefits the employees or the customer or the product mm-hmm. just make sure you know just do that mental check all the time mm-hmm. if either of the three or all the three of them are benefiting then you're doing the right things mm-hmm. in the decisions that you take and uh, the third individual who had a very strong influence on me is uh, mr nashir sonawala Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, he was a former finance director of tata sons mm-hmm. uh, you know he was also a trustee with the tata trust and you know he was on the boards of both the companies that i worked for he was the vice chairman of both the companies so by virtue of him being a very uh, eminent uh, finance uh, personality in the country uh, it was a great privilege to for me to be able to seek his audience and seek his guidance on you know complicated matters that i had to deal with uh, once in a while and uh, from mr sunawala i learned the fine art of balancing uh, between being cautious and taking a risk mm. you know it's a fine art because if you are over cautious you might put your money in a bank account and earn 5% right mm. and if you take too many risks then you have no further money to you know grow the business mm. so there's a delicate art and what's the delicate art is i learned from him because when we would go and seek his counsel and he would review what we planned to do and his insights the questions that he asked the guidance that he gave and uh, the other thing i learned from him was uh, always be respectful of the shareholders because at the end of the day you are custodian of the shareholders mm. and uh, you know one cannot uh, you know uh, overstate that it always needs to be borne in mind at the end of the day you know everything that we do must all culminate in value creation for the shareholders mm. so you know the combination of of the knowledge uh, that i was uh, able to you know absorb uh, from these three personalities uh, i think i was really privileged to have that opportunity to be in the same room as them and to learn from them and hopefully pass some of that down to my colleagues my younger colleagues uh, you know fantastic 
uh, you spoke about younger colleagues and pass downs. The question is this: that what would after such an illustrious career and with so much success, what would your advice be uh, to young managers, young individuals starting their careers today? So uh, actually, uh, my advice would be uh, what I just mentioned that you know everything that you do in life while running a business, look at it from the perspective of the product, uh, the employee, mm-hmm. and you know the customer. So if you have those three in mind all the time, uh, the other uh, you know uh, you know people in the ecosystem are all taken care of. The other thing is actually a quote uh, from John Lennon, and I quote. life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans unquote so it's a it's a very simple quote but it's also a very profound quote and it's so relevant for business that one can keep making multiple plans and you know assume that you're heading in the right direction but you know life uh, you know deals a very different card to you which means preempt what's going to happen keep looking at the future and have the wherewithal to keep making changes because the sand keeps shifting So I think young managers, if they bear that in mind, they will do well in life. Nice. Thank you so much. It's been my such pleasure. a pleasure speaking to you. My pleasure. I'm grateful you come on my show. Thank you. Thank you for having invited me. I really enjoyed interacting with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Video Cast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.